0: You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics.
1: Greetings and welcome to Domecast, the News and Observer Politics Podcast. I'm Don Vaughn here with Daniel Battaglia, Will Doran, and Colin Campbell. And our last Domecast was after the whirlwind 48 hours or maybe even less, um, very short General Assembly session. So now, a week out, we're looking overall at the session and who the winner and who and what really the winners and losers are, both in terms of people that get taxpayer money, that got to spend taxpayer money, um, policy, and, and everything else. So let's talk about um, who came out on top on this and, and who got shortchanged. Um, I'll throw out one, one initial idea um, with the COVID-19 Relief Act that was signed um, just this most recent one and the one earlier in the summer, I'll say that the winner is the state because it was a lot of money that's going to the state that didn't come from the state. Um, and it's it's federal money and it's all from the CARES Act. So this was a way that North Carolina's government was able to help uh, our residents with um, money that that didn't come from us, that came, well, came from us in a federal way, I guess, but, um, but that yeah, we were right. able to...
2: One of the interesting things with this session was that, you know, you have the worst economic recession in, like, all of our lifetimes, and the legislature didn't tap the Rainy Day Fund at all, which they tout as being, you know, look, we put all this money in the Rainy Day Fund, it's going to be here when things go bad, and so far they had enough federal money that they didn't feel the need to jump into that, now, you know, what they do next year, or if we have some hurricanes, who knows, but um, for now it's, it's yeah, it's all been federal, essentially, I mean, to, to law- lawmakers free money, it's still our money because we all paid taxes, but
1: right. nonetheless. But it's not our additional money. It only comes from one one tax yeah. pot. And promise. we probably borrowed
2: it from China, as opposed from you know our actual um, you know federal income tax payments.
1: So the rainy day fund is a winner too, because we're probably going to have a recession here, right? If we're not in one already, so so that's good. So the rainy day fund is is secure for now, and and we'll see when the uh, revenue forecast comes out, maybe in a month or so, um, how how much we'll need of it or not. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to get more federal money, are we? Or are you saying, Daniel?
3: It has the best name, the Rainy Day Fund.
1: Yeah, I mean, everybody spends
2: money
3: on
1: rainy days, right?
3: I think they're looking at more federal money right now, aren't they? I saw something come out about that this week.
2: Yeah, so yeah. the U.S. Senate came out with the Republican um, coronavirus package, which I think, is I remember correctly, didn't have a specific allocation for state and local, whereas the U.S. House Democratic plan is like another trillion dollars or something for state and local government. So whether they come out with some sort of compromise and whether that has anything for the state sort of remains to be seen. But that's, I think, from talking to lawmakers as they were getting ready to adjourn seems to be the only scenario or one of the only scenarios by which they come back later this year if they have money that they absolutely have to spend. But um, Senate Leader Phil Berger told me that even if you know the revenue forecast comes out in, you know later this month or next month and they find out that they've got more money to, to work with than they thought they did in terms of tax revenues, that um, they're just gonna wait until January to figure out how to
0: spend that um, and wait for the new legislature to come in.
3: So the state news uh, there.
0: Building on your point, Colin, um, I talked to Senator Tom Tillis a couple of weeks ago about some of these issues that Congress is looking into. And obviously he does not speak for every Republican senator, but you know they're in lockstep on a lot of things. And he was saying, know they don't want extra funding you know to bail out state and local governments which a lot of uh democrats and people like governor Roy cooper have been asking for you know uh congress is allowed to do deficit spending but state and locals aren't so you know congress has a little bit more leeway if they wanted to help bail out local governments um but tillis said that he wouldn't be in support of that but something he is in support of uh would be you know, additional uh, business loans and grants, like through the PPP program. Uh, You know, everyone knows that money got snatched up really, really quickly this spring um, when they first rolled that out. I mean, it was gone within a matter of days, basically. Um, He said he would be in favor of some more money for that, some more money, uh, you know, possibly for another round of uh, stimulus checks. Um, You know, he said he wouldn't support bringing the extra unemployment benefits back to $600 a week like they had been. Up until uh, August, but you know, maybe bringing them up to a, a smaller amount, kind of like you know what you've seen uh, President Trump propose as well. So yeah, I'm you know I, I don't know how much of that you know if Congress ever decides to actually act on any of that and get anything done, rather than just squabble with each other, uh, we'll see the the state legislature here needing to to then act on. But um, at least from you know the Republican side of the Senate in Congress, that seems to be uh, what they're looking at. I'd have to say for this session, bipartisanship is sort of a a winner, at least to a
2: degree, at least in comparison to D.C., um, in that, you know, they squabbled over stuff, but in the end, they actually passed bills and, you know, they went to the governor and they became law.
1: Well, Republicans could have done that without Democrat support, but I think they also put enough in there that Democrats didn't object to too much, you know, which was both, great and a bipartisan way also a good, you know, political move. And there were some Democrats, you know, that voted against like this last round, especially or, or how it was spent, but they all were like, you know, well, there's, you know, good stuff in here. Of course, everybody like broadband expansion. And, and I'd say like one of the winners is for sure people getting checks, um, who are parents. So the, I guess millions or however many parents there are in, um, in the state who, you know, claim a child uh, dependent last year, or they can apply for it, it'll get those $335 checks. And then teachers didn't end up getting the raise, um, but they did get bonuses. And of course there was the catch that if you're already getting a teacher bonus, which was much more than that amount for teaching AP classes or for Read to Achieve or other things, you got the surprise if you weren't getting it. Um, but it was, it was using like what um, I guess the Republicans have described it as basically a reward from what for what all teachers had to deal with with the end of the school year, um, and of course what they're dealing with now. Um, so the winner on that is you know maybe you didn't get as much as you thought, but you know could have been cut entirely. Um, and then all these teachers who weren't on all these lists of you get a bonus for this or that got got money or are getting money. They're supposed to get it I think by Halloween, and then the parents will get the checks um, just in time for. Um, Christmas and other winter holidays. So, so that's, that's definitely a winner, I guess. Danielle, what do you think? What do you think the winners and losers?
3: I'd say a clear loser. Sorry to be Danielle Downer over here. Um, I think a clear loser is the Democrats and their Medicaid expansion. That was something they've been fighting for, well, forever, but especially this year, Um, Mandy Cohen's been very outspoken about how we need Medicaid expansion. And that's one thing they couldn't
1: push through during the session. Yeah. And the Republicans who supported it or the losers on that too, you know, or Donnie Lambeth who wanted the, um, the compromise. And I guess there's some new poll that came out about people, people wanting it. Um, but it's, you know, it's still, it's even in coronavirus, it's still a very political issue. Um, and it's, yeah, it didn't happen. I would say that was a loss for, I mean, outside the legislature, that's a key, not just a key democratic, uh, priority in North Carolina, but, um, for for Cooper too. You know, like that's one of his big things. Yeah. I mean I think he came in
2: to this session really thinking that if he really used his leverage over the budget, he could get at least something on Medicaid expansion and Republicans just did not budge and basically said, okay, we won't have a budget and, you know, we'll spend less money, which is what we like anyway. Uh sorry, governor, who had some plans for, you know, revenue he wanted to spend on, on different priorities, we just won't do it. Um so, I mean, we're, we're at the point where for Medicaid expansion for Cooper to get a win on that, he has to win reelection and the Senate has to change its composition to not be a Republican majority. Cause I think you could have right. a Republican house that would go along with some form of it, like the Donnie Lambeth plan that you mentioned. Uh, but as long as Phil Berger is in charge, I don't see Phil Berger budging on this issue.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a Senate versus house and you know, they would see what happens. I mean, even, but it's come up and with, you know, Cooper this summer is like, it's right there. Why don't you take it? You know, and mentioning how, you know, when Pence was governor of Indiana. They, they did it and it's just, it's not going to happen because it's, you know, politicians like digging in on certain things. And I think this is one of those, right? So what else, what else do you guys think lost out? That was something that maybe would have come forward and didn't, or that wasn't enough of a priority? Policy-wise. Reopening, I think,
2: was definitely a loser. Um, all of those bills pretty well failed, um, even though there were some signs early on there might be a little bit of bipartisanship on reopening certain things with certain restrictions uh, to the point that, you know, with this most recent session in September, I mean, Republicans are still griping that they think the governor has left too many things shut down. They didn't even try to do another bill because they knew that they were going to just get vetoed and there wouldn't have Democratic support to, to override. So instead, what we're seeing is you know, press statements and strongly worded letters to the governor asking for him to, I think for House Majority Leader John Bell wrote him a letter this week asking him to reopen bars. Um, So, I mean, we've gone from a point where, you know, a few years ago, Republicans could do whatever they wanted because they had a supermajority and Cooper just had to sit back and, you know, watch it happen to uh, Republicans are begging him to do things through letters and he's probably not going to
0: do them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. However, what other t- lines of uh, work or public business where strongly worded letters are sometimes a big yeah. thing that, <laughs> that gets a that's worth us writing about. You know, it's like the news of the letter. You know,
2: but yeah, it's the way you a, to do it. You might get a paragraph of the insider if you write a good enough letter, but I think that's about the extent. I've done that stories really- about
1: letters, and it was about the whole budget thing. I remember doing one about. Um, Oh, gosh. It was. Yeah. I don't even remember what it was now, but I remember like Harry Brown told us about it or something. <laughs> it was like the, the I think it was the angry Senate Republicans letter about something with Cooper and the budget, you know, so. So they do get attention. It's you know, you do whatever you can to to draw attention to your issue, I guess. What about uh, will you, we were talking about um, before about this, about um, criminal justice reform? We have some winners, losers on that.
0: Yeah, I think that just the the topic in general of criminal justice reform is definitely a winner. Um, You know, you you saw the General Assembly uh, pass two bills, um, you know, one making it basically easier for people to expunge, you know, old uh, criminal records of theirs uh, to kind of, you know, called Second Chance Act, you know, to help people get jobs, get housing, things like that, that's much harder to do if you do have a criminal record. Um, And then another one uh, basically aimed at kind of helping people get around uh, mandatory minimums for some drug charges. Um, And both of those had been introduced and then by all accounts died. They went nowhere for months or I think one of them was even, you know, dormant, dead in committee for a year or more. Um, But then the George Floyd protests started happening in June and then all of a sudden both those bills passed. And they passed unanimously. Governor Cooper signed them into law. So they went from, you know, I mean, mean, that was one direct effect that the protests had this year was basically reviving those two criminal justice reform bills. And then you heard people on both sides of the aisle, both Democrat and Republican, saying that there's more they want to do in the future, you know, uh, laws aimed at, uh, you know, helping people who've had their driver's licenses taken away for uh, things like, you know, failure to pay court fees and fines. Um, And similar, we just had a a court ruling a couple weeks ago on allowing people uh, who are still on probation for uh, felony because they can't pay fines or fees. uh, Ruling that was essentially unconstitutional and striking that down and allowing those people to vote this year. So you're definitely seeing some movement um, uh, on several different, you know, facets of the criminal justice reform uh, movement. Uh, And I think, you know, it's bipartisan. You're seeing Democrats and Republicans going for it. Uh, It seems to be picking up momentum. Uh, I would say one group that is uh, maybe, you know, a little bit of a loser and a little bit of a winner uh, is people who are currently or still out of work because of coronavirus. And, you know, as Colin mentioned, all of the reopening bills failed, there's still a lot of people who are not back at work. And you saw Congress just do nothing on unemployment, you know, leave it up to President Trump to do something, who came back with a program that was less money than people had been getting. Um, And then here in North Carolina, Governor Cooper had proposed a pretty substantial uh, increase to unemployment benefits for people getting state benefits. Um, And the General Assembly, uh, they didn't just fail to do anything like Congress has done so far, uh, but they did not take Governor Cooper up on his fairly ambitious plan. Uh, he wanted to, uh, you know, extend the weekly benefits by, I think it was what, $150 a week, and then also pretty massively expand the number of weeks people could get unemployment. Uh, the legislature here did up the benefits by $50 a week, um, uh, but didn't touch the number of weeks that people get it. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, people on unemployment can say, it definitely could have been worse, but it could have been better
1: too. Yeah, so good, like evergreen comment on everything, including bills, right? I think everyone said that when they were, when they were talking about the the relief money, and yeah, I mean it's better than nothing, right? I think when when Berger was, uh, you know, pitching the parent stimulus checks, he said, "I know it's not going to pay anybody's mortgage," you know, but so. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it could be worse. And I actually think things ended up uh, not to be too optimistic because who knows what will happen. Um, things are looking a little better economically than, um, than we thought at the beginning, not knowing. Of course, everything was shut down, still shut down um, in a lot of ways, much, much longer than we thought. Um, but the devastation um, isn't isn't quite there that, um, that it could be, um, but again, you know, hedging bets on future recession and, and everything else. So, uh, um, money-wise, it seems like the, the state is overall doing okay. You know, we'll see what happens with the, if they come back before the next, um, legislative session and depending on who's in charge and how much money they want to spend, right?
2: You know, it was such a loser that we didn't even end up talking about at this legislative session, redistricting reform. Remember a year or so ago when <laughs> yeah. people thought this was going to be the year for that because they're like, well, you know, the new cycle is about to start. You know, we don't know who's going to win the elections, So there's going to be incentive on both parties to try to come up with something that's a little bit more uh, nonpartisan than, than what they have otherwise. And uh, in the end, those bills didn't get a hearing. No one even tried to get them a hearing with the pandemic. And so... Eventually, this election is going to be to the victor go the spoils and that sort of thing.
0: You know, Colin, it it might still be a little too early uh, to totally make that pronouncement. I mean, remember in 2016, after the election, you know, we had that lame duck session where the legislature came back, took a lot of power away from Governor Cooper in several different bills, did some other, you know, kind of last minute things in December, you know. Basically, you got the month after the election, but before you know the new people get sworn in in January. Um, and you could I think you could see uh, you know if Democrats do take back the legislature here, uh, Republicans come back in that uh, December session, pass some uh, you know, you could even see some pretty uh, stringent redistricting reforms that they would support to really take politics out of it uh, to kind of hamstring you know a new Democratic majority, keep them from uh drawing maps in their favor uh as both parties have always done in the past so i i wouldn't be surprised uh you know i I think if republicans do hold on to power you won't see anything uh just as you haven't seen anything this year like you said Colin. but if if democrats do somehow uh, manage to get a majority uh, i think suddenly you could see a, a whole lot of appetite for redistricting reform on the right where there hasn't really been
1: i think what people don't understand sometimes is that um it's not like in other states where North Carolina is in session for this amount of time, for this year, and that's it. And that's all you can do. You know, there are some surprises, which I think it makes it more interesting to cover. Um, you know, of course, there could be a better setup um, Been talking to our um, you know, our NNO politics editor uh, Jordan Schrader about like, well, let's look at the end of the year after the election, what we'll be doing story wise, and then I'm like, mm, I don't know, is there going to be a surprise session we have to cover? Is that what's going to happen around the holidays? And um, so I don't, I don't, you know, the election will, will determine a lot of other things. Um, one winner loser that we hadn't mentioned yet that I wanted to make sure we included—they're tied together, so and tied to the budget fight last year. Um, and it's money for uh, an African-Americans monument on the state Capitol grounds and money for Freedom Park, which are two different separate projects. If you are walking down like the backside of the legislature to the legislative building from um, the executive mansion, it's this area that's like half parking lot, half um, a, a crime victims um Memorial, And that is going to turn into Freedom Park, um, which is really cool, designed by the late um, architect um, Phil Freelon, who's one of the architects for the um, Smithsonian African American History Museum. Uh, so that's happening. And that was one of the things passed earlier this summer. But what didn't get passed was money for the African-Americans monument on the state Capitol grounds. And that was pulled out um, by Republicans right around the time of the George Floyd protests, which um, segued into um, protesters pulling down the um, the Confederate soldier monuments and then the the state removing the rest of them. So that's something that Maybe it'll happen again someday. There were kind of plans of what it was going to be and where it would be, and so that um, was a loser in this one. But Freedom Park was the winner. So, like Will was saying, like it, it um, as far as honoring the um, our North Carolinian heritage through the African American lens, um, it you know it was a, both a um, What's that um, thing that it's kind of a corporate thing, a plus delta versus (laughs) winners and losers, I guess. so. Any other winners and losers before we go to headliner of the week? All right. So speaking of winners, um, I think our headliner of the week winner, uh, we'll look that up and we'll be right back.
2: And we're back with headliner of the week. Uh, looking at last week's poll, looked like the shiny die hanky was a clear winner with forty-seven uh, percent of the the vote. Uh, Mystery sports and the shiny die bell not as popular. Y'all prefer hankies to bells, apparently.
3: Yeah.
2: So was that Danielle's? Uh- yeah, I had money. the bell because
1: you're she right? uh she took ha- Hanky. If I can interrupt here for a minute before we go to headliners, um, wanted to plug our voter guide, which came out this week. Which is for if you're an NNO subscriber, Harold Sun subscriber, Charlotte Observer subscriber, yay, this is for you. We have this super awesome. Interactive voter guide, and we've got so many candidate questionnaires, and this took hours and hours, and just as long as us griping about doing it, um, and getting responses, and figuring out uh, all the you know extensions, and make, making this stuff work for um, for this uh, this online tool, which is which is very cool. And then we also have um, politics reporter Lucille Sherman has has done. Um, bonus Domecast episodes looking at the legislative races and her first one rolled out this past week. So in addition to your um, regular domecasts that you'll hear from us will also be a, a bonus episode each week until the election looking at those different legislative races and that includes uh, interviews with um with some of the candidates so we're giving you so much election voter politics thing like just you you can't get enough of it
2: so. you can even okay. find out soil and water commissioner are you guys as like diligent as i am about like researching the ballot before you go vote and you get to soil and water and you're like. I have no idea. So these people don't even have websites. And uh, yeah, I pay
1: to. attention to it. When I moved to Raleigh, like within a week, I was like, oh, the municipal election is coming up. Like, I need to make sure I'm in on that. So maybe maybe reporters do. And certainly like, well, one own water supervisor, former one Jenna Wadsworth is running for. um agriculture commissioner she's the democratic nominee so it's it's definitely a stepping stone to other things and nally murdoch our state uh senator from from durham she uh was soil and water supervisor so there are names that you may not know now but that um you'll probably see a you know political front later so all right that's that's uh that's my plug for us um all right I'll, back to you colin for our our headliner intro
2: all right uh so let's see who should start uh will you want to start this week with headliner
0: Sure. Um, And as tempted as I am to go with uh, some sort of soil and water pun, I don't think that they made any headlines this week, any of the local candidates. Um, But someone who has been is the Trump family in North Carolina. Uh, They have been all over the map here, Uh, you know, both President Trump uh, coming to both Wilmington and Winston-Salem within, you know, the span of a week, um, doing official events slash rally meetups. Um, And then you've had, you know, Ivanka Trump here, uh, Eric Trump, uh, you know, obviously uh, they love uh, promoting uh, Laura Trump, one Mm -hmm. of the Trump son's wives, who's an NC State grad. Um, They have just been all over the place, flooding North Carolina, and it is really just a preview of what is to come for the next six or seven weeks. Um, We are going to be deluged here. We are a swing state and uh, one of the swingier of the swing states. Uh, So uh clearly you know maybe not all eyes on north carolina but many of them and we are going to be having tons of visits and they have already started
2: i was listening to a national politics
0: radio show this morning on npr and suddenly
2: i hear damon Cercasta, the chairman of the board of elections followed by michael bitzer the catawba uh, college politics professor that we always interview is like oh it's like local news but national all right uh, danielle who's your headliner
3: Okay, so before I say this, y'all have to know that I liked tacos before it was cool. And I was born in Los Angeles, so I learned early on to eat Mexican food. So my headliner of the week is going to be the town of Washington, who started a taco truck, not a taco truck trail, a taco trail. Um, Matt Debnan wrote about it this week. Um, I think it was this week. You go to eight taco or Mexican restaurants throughout Washington and you send your receipts. I want to say to the chamber, but it might be to the city. He's got it all listed in his article at the Washington daily news, but you get a t-shirt for finishing the taco trail and this is super exciting and we all need to go do it.
2: Yeah, Little Washington's a cool little town, but I didn't realize it was a taco mecca um, enough to have an eight-stop taco trail. So I it think yeah, road trip is in order.
1: I'm on board. All right, if Colin, are you waiting to go last?
0: Version of bar golf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll I mean, go who last. I don't like
1: tacos. Tacos are really the best. I mean, it's okay. They make um,
2: everything happy. <laughs> that's the smartest tourism idea I've seen in a long time.
1: All right. Yay tacos. Um, but uh, I guess I need to pitch something that's uh, equally as interesting as the taco trail. The Granville County Wilt. So the, we were chatting before we recorded this and I was looking at the history of Wendell. Why is it pronounced Wendell? Like how did Wendell form? Um, so Wendell formed, according to the town of Wendell's website, because of the Granville County wilt in the 1850s, which was um, unfortunate for tobacco farmers who ended up moving to new land out in eastern Wake County, um, ended up before forming the town of Wendell, which was picked um, by a teacher, a school teacher who was named it Wendell from Oliver Wendell Holmes, But then the train conductors would say Wendell when um the train came through Wendell, Wendell uh, years later. So I'm going to say Granville County Wilt, because I feel like that's like a, a really just interesting phrase and how it led to the town of Wendell's founding, which I learned about today and just wanted to share that with y'all. So that's mine. Colin would
2: you? Up? It's a NC history moment there for uh, <laughs> That's right. of the week.
1: I'm here. I would love I would do a North Carolina history like podcast all the time.
2: Well, you so. know I was on, on a Twitter thread about that recently and there was a, seemed to be consensus that that needs to happen. So maybe after the election that'll be our side project on Domecast will be the political history uh side channel once our Lucille series with the candidates uh, wraps up before the election. So something to look forward to at any rate. All right, so my headliner I'm going with the US census. Um Something that, you know, in a, in a more normal year, I think would be dominating the headlines a lot more, but because it's having to compete with everything else, um, it sort of doesn't get the attention it probably deserves, uh, given this is, you know, how we're going to allocate uh elected representation for the next 10 years it's going to be how we allocate you know various types of government funding um, and i reported this week that the leader of the nonprofit nc counts coalition which is this group that's trying to um sort of help the census process along in north carolina was testifying to congress and said that we're on quote on the verge of a failed 2020 census operation uh that you know we're behind in our response rate only about 60 percent of the state has filled out their census questionnaires. um, And uh, the Council Coalition, interestingly, has has blamed the Census Bureau for a lot of this. They said there's a lot of issues with um, them classifying the majority of North Carolina counties as red zones for coronavirus. And when they do that, um, the people that would normally be going door-, 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 door to door to people who haven't responded and helping them fill out the form and answer the questions, uh, those so census employees aren't doing that because of the risk of coronavirus um, in particular counties. So that means a lot of areas of the state, particularly areas with high minority populations, um, areas that are college towns and, you know, obviously college kids are, are in many cases have been sent home, is making it really hard to get an accurate count. Um, and if you get an undercount in the state, then that means less money, less representation. So it's a really big deal. Um, and there's a lot of problems going on with uh, with how it's going to be put together. Deadlines at the end of the month. Uh, the uh, Counts Coalition and Governor Cooper wanted extended to the end of, Janu- uh, end of uh, October. Um, but they're so far not getting any buy-in from the Trump administration on that. So we'll see what happens with the census. But uh, it's not looking good so far.
1: All right, Colin, with the with the serious headliner of the week. Um, since I guess I've picked uh, the weird I obscure one. <laughs>
2: yeah, you, we can't have more than one obscure one, so I'll just you know not do that. Yeah,
1: I like the idea of a a bonus uh, domecast series on North Carolina history and and places. So if you guys like the idea, let us know and uh, we'll we'll pitch it. Um, all right. So uh, don't forget to vote for your headliner of the week in our Under the Dome Twitter poll, which we'll put out once this uh, once this goes up. Um, check out the voter guide tool, which you can look up while you are in line to vote or staying at home looking at your mail-in ballot or whatever you do. And don't forget also about our bonus Domecast elections episode. So all kinds of stuff as we get toward um, the election. So I'm Don Vaughn for Danielle Battaglia, Will Dorn, and Colin Campbell. Thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at Newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at NCInsider.com.